0: At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
1: Welcome in, everybody. Another edition. Week 3 edition. College football betting. I am your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is enjoying what is already a chaotic, surreal college football season. It is only week three. And what I would say about the week three slate, it very much reminds me of the slate from a week ago, right? You go back to last week, week two, what was the conversation? There's one super marquee game. It's Alabama, Texas. Alabama's going to blow them out. College football, they never give us the big games that we want. Well, what ended up happening? Texas keeps it close. Probably, frankly, the best performance uh, of the, the Steve Sarkeesian era so far. And then we get chaos across the rest of the sport. Texas A&M loses at home. Notre Dame loses at home. Obviously, Kentucky, I'm not comparing Kentucky in the App State Marshall category, but goes on the road as a six-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook and pulls off the upset in the Swamp. So crazy week two. And I think we're going to get much the same in week three, where there isn't that super high-profile, like elite of the elite, Marquee game, but when you start talking about Texas A and M, Miami, Auburn, Penn State, Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh, uh, USC Fresno, Michigan State, Washington, I think there's a lot of really interesting, fun games on the schedule this week. So week three preview is here. Before we get started, a couple things. One, first of all, we are back on a normal schedule. Last week we released the episode a little bit later than I would have liked, midday on Thursday. We'll get it out to you first thing Thursday morning. Have it to you. First thing so you can get ready make the bets also if you're not subscribed on youtube encourage you to do so what we're going to do is drop the new episode wednesday night so you get first kind of glance at it uh, uh on youtube on wednesday night uh we did it last night we're going to do that going forward so make sure you're subscribed for those of you who did subscribe thank you so much also of course uh make sure that you're subscribed to the college football betting show if you are not already. Before we get started, a couple other things. One, I do want to welcome back, I told you last week, we, Aaron Torres Media, the Aaron Torres Podcast, we have ourselves a new presenting sponsor. Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. I told you about them last week. I'm so excited to be working with these guys. Let me tell you a little bit about them. One, one. First of all, I told you last week, they've been around forever, started in 1967 in the UK, over a thousand shops there in the UK. They have come to the United States and they have made a huge splash here in the United States. Official gambling sponsor and presenting sponsor of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies, of the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about this sports book, they do more for their betters than anybody. As I told you, uh, Bet Fred betters have thrown out first pitch of the Rockies games. They've tailgated before Broncos games. They had a wild time at the Cincinnati Bengals week one game against Pittsburgh. Uh, and let me tell you this. I just saw this day. They're not even telling me to tell you this, but I'm so fired up. I might enter myself, but they are flying to Denver Broncos fans to London to see the Denver Broncos play the Jacksonville Jaguars in London later this year, October 30th. Uh, Make sure you're following Betfred Sports for details. Also, I have it on my Twitter page as well, at Aaron underscore Torres. But you talk about a sports book that does more for its customers. Betfred is flying you overseas to see the Denver Broncos versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. And what I would tell you is, here stateside, they take care of you as well. I told you last week, I'll tell you again. Their bet right there, their deal right now, bet 50 on any game. Get 250 in free bets, courtesy of the Betfred app. Any college football game, new users, uh, incredible offer, great sports book. I have loved working with them so far. Could not be more excited to be working with Betfred. Finally, I said it, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Also, the NFL, uh, Aaron Torres, NFL Pick'em Challenge. It's going to week two, baby. If you haven't signed up, it's not too late. We have $100 weekly winners, a $1,000 season-long cash prize. You can go ahead and find the link on my Twitter bio at Aaron underscore Torres. You can also, of course, DM me, as always, with any questions. With that said, let's get to the Week 3 slate. And let's get to, you know, it's funny. Like I said, right, is there are no super marquee games. And part of the reason is because Texas A&M did not do what they were supposed to do last week against App State. Uh, You know what happened. But coming into this one, Texas A&M hosting Miami, Texas A&M, how about this? Probably very surprising to most of you, including myself, by the way. Now, I'm not going to disclude how I felt. I was stunned when I saw that Texas A&M is a five-and-a-half point favorite at home. The over-under absolutely plummeting, opened at, 50, at 49, excuse me, down to 44-and-a-half. And I think it speaks to the fact that betters, uh, the, the, the odds makers, they think it's going to be a close, low-scoring game in College Station. When I look at this game, listen, we all know what the story is, right? It's Texas A&M coming off that loss to App State. We don't need to revisit it. I'm not going to do the whole – I did the Jimbo Fisher hot take on the Aaron Torres pod a few days ago. Uh, If you missed it, go back and listen. It was definitely a hit. Um, But what I would say is what we need to do is take what we learned last week and kind of apply it to what we expect to see this week. And a couple of things do stand out to me. First of all, we know how bad that offense was for Texas A&M, Okay. Uh, under 200 yards of total offense against uh, uh, an app state team that gave up 63 points, 61 points to North Carolina the week before Uh, seven points on offense. They had 14 points total. They lost 17 to 14, but seven of those points came on a Devin, a chain kickoff return. So Texas A&M with its nine and a half million dollar head coach was able to muster up a grand total of seven points on offense, not ideal. Uh, Not ideal coming into this week, obviously, but what I would also say is I did find the Jimbo Fisher press conference following that game very interesting. Now, I know that we don't need to give a coach a pat on the back for admitting that his team stunk and things need to be reconsidered, but when I saw his press conference, two things stood out to me. Basically, he said, it's all on the line now. One, he said, if the play calling is the problem, I am willing to give up play calling duties. He said, if the quarterback is the problem, we are not committed currently to our quarterback. And so I bring it up because, yes, you lost. Yes, it's unacceptable. Yes, I'm not saying that Texas A&M fans should be, uh, you know, you know, thrilled that their coach finally figured out, hey, if we're not playing the best quarterback, don't play him. But what that said to me was that Jimbo Fisher, I think, realizes his tenure here in College Station is on the brink. He can no longer get by on just having that win over Alabama last week last year he can no longer just get by on signing the number one recruiting class in the history of college football last february it is now about wins and losses on the field applying um you know getting those great recruits to play to a certain standard and because of it i think everything's on the table and i think we could see a quarterback change before this game or during this game As I record here Wednesday night, as as far as I know, no change has been made at the quarterback position, okay? So I'm not sitting here saying I have any super inside information. But when the head coach says that, and when Haynes King has been as bad as he's been, and I hate to be critical, but this is big boy college football now. He started three games in his career. One last year against Kent State, then he got hurt in the second start. And two this year, Sam Houston State and Appalachian State, as I joked on the Aaron Sports Podcast, none of those are even State's. But he has five touchdown passes, five interceptions, and he just looks lost out there. And that's not a criticism. That's not, you know, me being mean. That's not me being a bully. That's just a fact. And so I think Jimbo Fisher, understanding that his livelihood is on the line, I think this could be the week that you see a change in the quarterback position from Texas A&M. Don't know if it's going to happen before the game. I think it will happen during the game if Haynes King cannot move the ball. Also worth noting completing 64% of his passes, 63% a season ago. And this is a guy that has real wheels. He's not moving the ball on the ground either. And so I do wonder if you make the change, especially considering, and I think this is an important part of this. There are a lot of programs. Think about Clemson last year. They don't have an alternative if the starting quarterback isn't hurt. I think Texas A&M might be one of the very few programs in college football that has legitimate Three guys in the quarterback room that could start in case of emergency. I don't know what it says about the other two that Jimbo Fisher selected Haynes King, but Max Johnson has started and won games in the SEC. That is the LSU uh, transfer. And then on top of that, Connor Wegman, the five-star freshman, obviously is perceived to be the future. And so if you have the opportunity to start that guy, then I think you have to make the move. The other side of the Texas A&M equation that's very interesting to me I will say this, and I thought it went a little bit kind of—I don't know if underreported is the right word—they did only give up 17 points to to App State. And again, I'm not saying that we need to hold uh, you know a, a celebration and a party and wave pom poms and, and set off balloons because they only gave up 17 points to App State. But keep in mind, App State in week one, as I said, 61 points against North Carolina. And over 600 yards of total offense. So the defense was pretty good. And frankly, the defense probably did enough to win that game on Saturday. And so I do think as much doom and gloom as it is with Texas A&M, I do think at the same time, you know, they're really some half decent quarterback play away from potentially not being, uh, you know, terrible, certainly, uh, and being a lot better than they were. With Miami, What I would say really quick, you know, we don't we just don't know very much about them. They open against Bethune, Cookman at home, uh, FCS school, obviously an HBCU school. And then they play Southern Miss last week. And I'll tell you, um, even though the box score looks one way, um, Miami taking care of business pretty convincingly against against um, against, uh, excuse me, Southern Miss last Saturday. Final score was 30 to seven. It is worth noting. It was 3 nothing after the first quarter, and it was 10-7 at halftime before they kind of blew the doors off the building in the third quarter. And so, you know, if Texas A&M does what it's supposed to do against App State, I think we could be coming into this game looking at Miami saying, you've got a lot to prove to us because it didn't look very good against Southern Miss. So with Miami, I think really there are two takeaways that I would really have about them coming into this game. One, the defense has looked really good. And, you know, obviously Mario Cristobal is a a former offensive line coach. Line play is not only key in in all of college football, but it's something that he has taken priority in. And they have been really good on the defensive side of the ball, specifically in the run game, in run defense. They gave up just 50. They're giving up an average of 58 yards per game on the ground, uh, 2.2 yards per carry. How about this? Southern Miss had 23 carries for 24 yards. Not great at math, but that's a little over one yard per carry from Southern Miss the other day. And so I I do think, again, this will be a game in the trenches. This will be a game about physicality. And it'll be a game on two quarterbacks, right? Whatever happens at Texas A&M, and then, of course, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. And I was thinking about this today when it comes to Tyler Van Dyke. You know, has any quarterback really gotten more hype I guess, you know, five-star recruits, things like that. But a guy that's actually played games, gotten more hype without really having kind of a national showcase game, quite like Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, keep in mind, he started six games last year, but it is worth noting, they were all basically after uh, Miami's season was already done. Miami gets destroyed in week one by Alabama, barely survive, ironically, Appalachian State in week two. Week three, lose to Michigan State. And all of a sudden, we kind of just, Miami wasn't on our radar. De'Ara King gets hurt. Tyler Van Dyke comes in, goes 5-1 and one as a starter, 20-3 to touchdown to interception ratio, and is 2-0 and oh this year. So 7-1 and one as a starter. We really haven't seen him in a high-profile game. The other thing that stands out, we haven't really seen him in a high-profile setting, right? Last year, the road games that he played in at Duke, not College Station, at UNC when they were kind of falling apart, at Florida State when their season was on the brink, at Pitt – so he's played in road games, but nothing quite like this. Uh, so when I look at this game, I would just tell you, one, it's going to be line play. It's going to be physicality. There is a reason that the number, the over-under is plummeting. The other thing that stands out, Miami hasn't played in an environment like this. Uh, I don't tell you how to pick games. I will say my official pick, as I said, minus five and a half in the sports Sportsbook. I'm really starting to lean Texas A&M, and I'll tell you why. You know what this game actually reminds me of a little bit? Remember last year around this time, remember Texas A&M loses to Arkansas in the Southwest classic. Then they lose to Mississippi state at home and everybody's calling for Jimbo back then. And what happens a week later, they beat Alabama at home in a big night game, not comparing Miami to Alabama. But what I am saying is this seems to be a program that starts off slow. It seems to be a program that gets itself up for big games. And I do wonder about Miami in that big road environment in college station. I also wonder who is going to be taking the final snap of the game as Texas A&M starter.
0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Let's move to another game that I'll be honest. I really don't think that we know very much about either team. Penn State at Auburn. So Penn State is a three-point favorite on the road, which is very interesting to me. The over-under, another one that is minuscule. It is 48. It was as low as 47, back up to 48. I don't think that anybody thinks that means there's going to be a bonanza of scoring. But I do think what it means is that we are going to see a low-scoring game in the 20s like last year when Penn State beat Auburn 28-20 to 20 at home. In terms of these two teams, like I said, I, I don't think we know much about either one. And I certainly don't think we know much about Auburn. They have played two games. One was against Mercer. Mercer, excuse me. One was against San Jose State. And let's call a spade a spade. They did not look good against San Jose State last week. Final score 24-16. to 16. 378 yards of total offense. They did run the ball effectively though. And what I would say about Texas or about uh, Auburn, excuse me, is that when I look at this team, it is pretty clear how Brian Harson wants to play. Now I think he wanted to play this same way last year. Uh, and I think he was early in the year before things kind of got away from him, but it's clear that he kind of brings that, that, that Northwest tough Boise cold weather mentality to the planes. They want to run the ball. They want to stop you from running the ball. And on offense, they have been at least very effective in running the ball and doing that. Something that caught my eye, they have nearly twice as many rush attempts as they do pass attempts, 79 rush attempts through two games, 44 pass attempts through two games. I think it's for two reasons. One, you're playing San Jose State and Mercer. You don't want to put too much on tape. Two, you also have TJ Finley at quarterback. And listen, this isn't a criticism of TJ Finley. But I said it in the SEC West preview a few weeks ago. He is who he is at this point, right? We, we like, There are certain quarterbacks, and we're going to talk about one of them in a minute, and Sean Clifford, you kind of just know who they are at this point. TJ, uh, TJ Finley, remember, he was a transfer last year from LSU, lost the starting job at LSU to Max Johnson, who now ironically is at Texas A&M, but 57% in 2020 at LSU. Last year, 55%, six touchdowns, one interception, uh a season ago this year not pretty 65 percent one touchdown three interceptions again against san jose state and mercer he's obviously gonna have to play his best game for auburn to win you know he's got to step it up too it's sean clifford man i'm just gonna tell you i've said it if you follow me on twitter i am pretty much over sean clifford at this point he is a fourth year starter uh sean clifford is if you look at his his years statistically you could probably argue that his best season was as a freshman a redshirt freshman in 2019 so we're talking about the year before COVID so we have this year last year which was post COVID and then the year before that was COVID and then the year before that was when Sean Clifford was at his best uh 2600 yards 23 touchdowns last year he did throw for 3100 yards but remember he was injured he was in out of the lineup all that good stuff but 61% completion last year, 61% completion this year. I know that he rallied, uh, helped them beat Purdue a few weeks ago, but we all watched that game. He was awful for most of that game. A pick six, uh, you know, he has a pick six thrown. He does rally them, but I just bring it up to say, if it, if it isn't for, um, you know, Jeff Brom's play calling, they don't win that game, and I am not going to put too much on that one single game. As a matter of fact, I think what's especially interesting about Penn State I think at this point, it seems pretty clear to me that Drew Alar, their backup quarterback, five-star kid, many believe he you know, him, Cade, Clubnick, there's a few others. Many believe that Drew Alar, Drew Aller, however you pronounce his name, was actually the best quarterback in high school football this year, last year, very limited snaps, but he has completed 67% of his passes, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. One, I do think we probably see him. Two, I wonder how much longer James Franklin can actually wait to play this guy. He is clearly the better guy. I understand, one, James Franklin not wanting to put a a young quarterback in the crossfire in an SEC stadium. I also understand this is big boy college football and you got to win games. So I do wonder if Penn State is potentially waiting for a home stretch, waiting for a little bit of an easier break in their schedule to get this guy more snaps. But I do think that we probably see him. And then let's also give credit to another freshman, Noah Singleton, five-star kid. He had some absurd amount of rushing yardage in high school. Well, he hasn't missed a beat since he got to college. He's averaging 10 and a half yards per carry, two touchdowns in two games. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley, the transfer from West, uh, Western Kentucky, has looked really good as well. But again, for Penn State, I think it does come down to the run game and really more specifically stopping the run. And I think that's where it gets interesting because Auburn, to its credit, like I said, early on, they have run the ball very well. They've also been very effective stopping the run. Now, for the 100th time, they've played Mercer and San Jose State. I get it. But 26th in the country in rush defense allowed. Um, and, I, and I do think that's the, the, the key to this game, right? Both teams want to run the ball. Both teams don't want to put too much on their quarterback's plates. Both teams know if they do put too much on their quarterback's plates, they are probably going to lose. The other thing I would say, last thing that really stands out to me about this game, then we'll talk about Nebraska-Oklahoma, get to a quick break, is when I look at this game, one thing does stand out to me. I mentioned a minute ago, Miami-Texas A&M reminds me a little bit of my uh, Texas A&M and Alabama last year. The other thing that stands out, these two teams did play last year in Happy Valley, huge night game. It was a whiteout game, and Penn State did win that game. But if you remember, Auburn had a drive late, were driving stopped like a yard or two short of potentially having what could have been the game tying score. And so that was last year at Penn State with Bo Nix, a quarterback. I only bring it up to say this game is in Auburn. It's not often. I'll just say this. You pick who you want to pick. My official Betfred Sportsbook pick is Auburn minus three. You bet who you want to pick. What I will just tell you, I learned my mistake betting against SEC home underdogs Uh, Two weeks ago with Florida and Utah, I do like Auburn. I do like Auburn. I don't trust Sean Clifford in a big situation on the road against a good defense like Auburn, and I do think they will have success running the ball. Give me Auburn, close, low-scoring game, plus the points. Really quickly before we get out of here, like I said a second ago, we mentioned with Texas A&M. We know what the story was coming into the Texas A&M-Miami game. We certainly know what the story is coming into the Oklahoma-Nebraska game as Oklahoma visiting their one-time rival, Oklahoma, an 11-and-a-half-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. Uh, You look at the over-under for this game. It is currently, as I record here, sitting at 60-and-a-half, 66-and-a-half, excuse me. And it shows you that Vegas expects a high-scoring game, probably because we've seen the Nebraska defense. Really quickly with Oklahoma, listen, you know, I've said it with Auburn, I've said it with Miami, I don't know that there really is a ton to really know or take away from Oklahoma early in this year. I will say the defense statistically, I don't think has been great, but it is worth noting, Um, you know, they, they have taken care of business, especially in the run defense, only 28 yards allowed against UTEP. So the Brent Venables effect, I'm not sitting here saying that they have been, you know, the elite of the elite so far. I'm not saying they're Georgia but they are doing what they need to do. 13 points allowed against UTEP, three points allowed against Kent State last week. You know, Kent State was able to move the ball to a degree, but they held them to three yards rushing and six yards per completion for Kent State, three points. So that Brent Venables defense is in full effect. Uh, the, the one thing that does stand out to me a little bit though is that offense. And one of the reasons I was so excited about Oklahoma coming into this year is because of this offense with Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel leading the charge. For people who don't remember, Dylan Gabriel, longtime quarterback at Central Florida, played there under Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel's offensive coordinator at one point was Jeff Levy. Jeff Lebby is now the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And so I was really excited. Dylan Gabriel, to his credit, has done what he has to do, completing 71% of his passes, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, but the offense has been kind of up and down. And I do wonder if it's just because you're playing against inferior competition and you gotta get bored playing against inferior competition at some point. Right. Um, but you look at this offense, there have been lulls uh, in week one. As I mentioned, they did play UTEP. They did score 45 points, but it's worth noting. Twenty one points came right off the jump. Twenty one points came in the first uh, about eight minutes of the game. Not to say that scoring 24 over the final, what would that be? 53 minutes of the game, 52 minutes of the game is bad, but it was pretty clear that they jumped on them early and let their foot off the gas. Last week was definitely a struggle early. Oklahoma puts up 33 points, but has just seven first half points against uh, Kent State. The good news for Oklahoma, of course, is that they are playing a legitimately awful defense in Nebraska. And it's funny, right? Because if you listen to the Aaron Torres podcast, I remember saying after the Northwestern game, I was worried about Scott Frost's future because it wasn't because of an onside kick or because they lost. It was because Northwestern ran the ball right at them and they had no answers. And we saw it last week against Georgia Southern, right? So Nebraska plays Georgia Southern. I'm hosting Fox Sports Radio. Uh, And it was funny because Nebraska scored with about three minutes left in the game. And my radio partner and I were joking. um, You know, they left too much time on the clock for Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern goes length of the field. Georgia Southern scores a touchdown. Georgia Southern wins, but most importantly, Georgia Southern had 642 yards of total offense. And so, when I look at this game, a couple of things do stand out. One, um, the Nebraska defense can't be much worse, uh, but I do wonder at home. Obviously, the the I don't know if excitement's the right word, but listen, a lot of times when a coach gets fired, the team is going to rally, not because they didn't like the last guy but because they want to, you know, they, whatever the reason is, I I never played major college football. I can't tell you. Did play at the high school level. No big deal. Um, But you know, the bottom line is you do sometimes see that, right? Coach is gone. There's a black cloud over the program. These kids can play a little bit looser now knowing that they're not playing for their coach's job. And as a matter of fact, in many cases, they may be playing for Mickey Joseph's job as the interim head coach, Trev Alberts has said, this guy will be under consideration for the job defending depending on how he does. But watching Mickey Joseph's press conference, watching Trev Alberts, Trev Alberts even said, we just need another voice in the room. These kids need another voice. And I do wonder if they're going to play a little bit looser. And I also wonder if 11 and a half points at home is a little bit too much. I mean, keep in mind, Nebraska, what was Scott Frost's problem the last two years? They can't win a close game. Five and 22 in one score games. They're four and 11 overall since the start of last year. All All 11 losses by nine points or less. Eight of those losses by a touchdown or less. They play close games and they're at home. So I went back and looked it up just for fun. The last time Nebraska lost by by double figures, by more than 11 points, I guess, technically, at home. And let's take out the COVID year because that was weird. There were no fans in the stands. Early 2019. So in earliest Scott Frost's second year was when the last time they lost a big, they lost by a wide margin at home. What that says to me, this team is talented. This team has the players. They just can't get over the hump. Uh, and the 11 and a half, 11 feels a little bit too much to me. Don't tell you how to bet. But my pick, bet Fred pick, uh, I would take Nebraska plus points. All right, that's so what I want to do. Do you want to take a quick break? Do you want to come back? Want to hit on some of the other games? I am fascinated by Michigan State, Washington. I'm fascinated by USC, Fresno. Fascinated by Mississippi State, LSU. Going to take a quick break. We will be.
0: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I want to switch gears and get to the rest of what I think is again, going to be a very fun week three slate in college football And let's get to a game that, and I'll tell you this, I don't think on the national scale it's as big as some of these other ones, but one that I find absolutely fascinating, it comes Saturday, night on the East Coast, evening on the West Coast, as Michigan State travels to Washington. Of course, Michigan State coming off an 11-2 season, Washington fired head coach Jimmy Lake, and so I think a lot of people will be surprised to see Washington is actually a three-point home favorite. The over-under set at 56 and a half in the Betfred Sportsbook. And I'll tell you this, I do get it. Uh, and I think this is going to be a fascinating matchup. So why could, I think the question would be, right, if we're all gamblers, we're all thinking about throwing a little bit of money on this game, why could Washington be the favorite? Because Michigan, Michigan State is ranked. Michigan State's coming off a great year. We all love Mel Tucker, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's a couple things. One, Washington, uh, you know, Husky Stadium right there uh, on the water. I don't think people realize this. It is, when it is rocking for a big game, it is one of the best home field advantages in all of college football. I remember talking many years ago, he would never remember this, Rick Neuheisel, okay, he was obviously the coach at Washington. In 2000, they played Miami at home. They beat Miami. Miami didn't lose a game the rest of that year. Miami didn't lose a game the rest of the following year. And Miami didn't lose a game the following year until the national championship game. Remember, 2000, Miami wins the Sugar Bowl, goes undefeated in one 2 they lose in the national title game to Ohio State. Their last loss prior to Ohio State was over two full years before that at Washington. I remember talking to Rick Newhouse about it. He's like, it's just really hard to play at Washington, at Husky Stadium in Washington when that place is rocking, I think it will be on Saturday night for a top 20 opponent. On top of that, I know Washington is a little bit off the radar because of how bad they were, but I do think it's this weird thing where a lot of stuff, kind of everything's just falling in line at Washington in terms of how everything came together. And let me explain. Jimmy Lake last year was the head coach. Jimmy Lake got fired. Jimmy Lake was a disaster. The one thing Jimmy Lake could do, though, was put together a really good defense. And I think it's easy to forget in the midst of a really bad la- really bad year last year for Washington, for the Huskies, they were still really, really, really good on defense. Overall, Washington stunk. They fired their head coach. They finished 4-8 and eight overall. They had a top 25 defense in college football. How about this? This is something you probably do not know. They had the number one pass defense in all of college football. So the defense was never an issue. And you look at some of their their stat lines, they gave up 24 to UCLA, which was the best offense in the Pac-12, 16 to Arizona, 13 to Stanford, 26 to Oregon, which at the time we thought was a playoff contender, 20 to Colorado. This was an elite defense. Why is that important? It's because the defense, surprise, surprise, is really good this year. Now, what's the problem? Well, last year, they couldn't move the ball. So what did they do? They went and got one of the best young minds as their head coach in college football in Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer, prior to Washington, was at Fresno State. And you know what they did? They passed the crap out of the ball. Top 15 offense in back-to-back years in 2020 and 2021, a year ago. Remember, and we're going to talk about it in a minute with Fresno State. They went to UCLA and beat UCLA at the Rose Bowl about a week or two after UCLA smacked LSU at the Rose Bowl. So this guy is an elite offensive mind, an elite passing attack uh, at Fresno State the last two years, top 10 passing offense in college football. Well, fast forward to this year, guess what? They got the elite defense from last year, which is still ranked top 25 in the country, actually ranked number 12 in the country, as a matter of fact. And the offense is firing on all cylinders. Top 10 in the country in passing, top 15 in total offense, and Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana who actually was coached by Kalen DeBoer early in his career is thriving through two games, 71% completion percentage, five touchdowns, no interceptions. This offense is humming. They are at home and the defense is playing really good. Now, of course, like with a lot of teams this time of year, it's worth noting, Washington has played Kent state who apparently has played everybody. They played Oklahoma earlier this year. They played uh, at Texas A&M last year and they have played Washington as well. And Washington's also played Portland State. And so you look at the combination of last year's defense, this year's offense, and now you're going up against the Michigan State team, which to its credit, 11 wins last year. And I do think they've kind of cleaned up some things. First of all, run the ball really, really well like they did last year. Last year, Kenneth Walker was a Heisman Trophy candidate. This year, he is gone in the NFL. What did Mel Tucker do? Went back to the portal, got two really good backs. Jalen Berger, formerly of Wisconsin, almost seven yards per carry, four touchdowns. Jarek Broussard, ironically played in the Pac-12 at Colorado, five and a half yards per carry, two touchdowns. So you have two elite running backs out of the portal. So they're doing a, a, a as good of a job running the ball as they did last year. And I do think what's noteworthy, what was Michigan State's Achilles heel last year? They couldn't stop the pass this year to its credit. And they're another team that really hasn't played pretty much anybody. Akron and Western Michigan, but they are in the top 50 nationally in passing defense. Where I would be concerned backing Michigan State is a few things. One, their quarterback, Peyton Thorne, has not been very good this year. Okay. And this was a question coming into the year. Everything kind of broke right last year, which we're going to talk about in a second. But this kid was good, but not elite last year. 60% completion percentage to his credit, 27 touchdowns. Well, that completion percentage through two games, 58% completion percentage four touchdowns, three interceptions. That is not the kind of start that you want to the year, especially because again, Michigan State hasn't played anybody. Michigan State in their first two games, Western Michigan and Akron. And it's worth noting that they struggled with Western Michigan. It was in the first game of the year at home. The score was 21 to 13 going into the fourth quarter before Michigan State pulled away. And so you look at this Michigan State team. You look at the fact that last year, a lot of stuff broke right. They went 11 and two, more than a third of their wins. Four of them came by five points or less. Three of them were at home. Now again, credit, you beat Michigan at home. You beat Penn state at home. You beat, uh, uh, you know, you beat Indiana in a close game. You beat Nebraska, Scott Frost, the ghost of Scott Frost lost to Michigan state in overtime. I just bring it up to say a lot of things went their way that last year, I would be worried about betting them even as a slight underdog on the road. One is that defensive backfield is that is, are those DBs, are they that much better or are the teams that they have played just bad Two, you have a quarterback who's turning the ball over at home against Western Michigan and Akron. Now you're going up against one of the best pass defenses in college football. Listen, I don't tell you how to bet. My favorite bet of the weekend is actually Washington State Washington minus three and a half. And it goes back to what I said last week when it came to some of these previews. Uh, I I do go back to some of my preseason prep. I really did think Michigan State might be a tiny bit overvalued this year. We will see. Let's go in the opposite direction, not only in the country, but in team style, whatever. Uh, Georgia, how about this? Georgia, remember them? Reigning national champions. uh, Beat Oregon by about 4,000 points in week one. Well, they are a 24 and a half point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook as I record. The over under set at 55, which seems like astronomically high for a Georgia game. And I would say like, I think, you know, kind of talking to people and listening to other people and talking to you guys and girls as fans, I think a lot of people are sitting there saying that number is way too big. SEC game, how can you have a team that is favored by that many at home uh, in a divisional battle, a, a game where the two teams know each other, I'll tell you why. It's because Georgia's kicked the crap out of South Carolina the last few years. Last year, they win by 27. The year before, and admittedly, it was COVID. There wasn't a lot of fans in the stands. They win by 29. Now, the year before that was that weird upset where Georgia lost to South Carolina in 2019. 2018, Georgia won by twenty-four. So three of the last four years, Georgia has won by at least 24 points, including the last two trips to South Carolina. Um, and if you remember, by the way, last year was a great postgame presser from uh, from Shane Beamer. Do you guys and girls remember this? Uh, that was the game where they asked Shane Beamer. They said, why were you not effective running the ball? And he literally I listened to the clip today. He goes, they have like forty two. Five stars on their defensive line that's why we couldn't run the ball they have a guy that's that weighs 360 pounds that runs a 4-5-40 named Jordan Davis that's why we couldn't run the ball and so I look at that game last year I look at the recent results that's why this game is such a wide margin now can South Carolina keep it close I'll be honest I'd be a little bit worried and here's why Georgia listen first of all Georgia just steamrolled Oregon in week one, 549 yards of total offense. And as always, as they usually do to everybody not named Alabama, they just, they just, they basically it should have been a running clock in the second half. They were up so big, so dominant that it was like, oh my goodness, it was unbelievable. But I bring it up because South Carolina through two games, you know what their weakness is? They can't stop the run. If you can't stop the run against Georgia, good freaking luck. They're going to beat your brains in. South Carolina, how about this? Last week, almost 300 yards to Arkansas, 295 for those of you who were scoring at home. Uh, The week before, and I think this is the important one, they gave up, how about this, 200 yards rushing to Georgia State, five yards per carry. Is that going to get, if you're giving up five yards per carry to Georgia State, imagine what you're going to do against Georgia. And so to me, the number feels about right. If I had to make a play, I'd probably pick Georgia in the first half because I think they're going to do what Georgia does. Um, And I, you know, they're going to get up big and then they're just going to chew up the clock in the second half. The other thing to consider, too, and and somebody I heard somebody say this this week is, well, you know, it's kind of a I mean, could 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 Georgia come out flat? I mean, they could. But the thing is, it's they don't really have any marquee games here in the foreseeable future. Georgia State, you're going to laugh. Georgia, you're going to laugh when I say this, you know, who they play next week. Our old buddies at Kent State. So, Kent State has already played Oklahoma, Washington. They will play Georgia next week. And then Georgia has Missouri before the Deep South's oldest rivalry against Auburn on October 8th. So, we're talking about really three games before there's another marquee game on the schedule. I don't think Georgia's looking ahead in any way. SEC opener. I think they want to come out. I think they want to prove a point. I think they want to prove, by the way, especially. And I'm going to, this is all hypothetical. Not that they want to, but I think they will. I mean, there's some talk. They're the number one team in the country. There's some talk that they've surpassed Alabama for another season. I think they would like to prove that Uh, Georgia, a 24 point underdog. And I see why let's quickly wrap with some of the other games. You know, I'll tell you this in terms of stay away games to me, there is no bigger stay away than Mississippi state, the pirate Mike Leach going on the road, to LSU, LSU actually a two and a half point underdog at home against Mississippi State. This is actually a three-point spread in the bet Fred Sportsbook. It has been bet down to LSU plus two and a half, Mississippi State minus two and a half, the over-under set at 53 and a half. Here's why I can't bet it if it, it, you know, in my opinion. I think Mississippi State has the better offense and the better defense. Obviously, we know about the offense. It speaks for itself. Will Rogers, third year in that Mike Leach system. Um, And they, they obviously are throwing the ball all over the field. 385 passing yards per game. Top five passing offense in college football. But I think what a lot of people forget, Mississippi State was elite on defense last year as well. Remember, they had a top 30 defense in college football this year. A little bit off to a slow start. They're giving up about 305 yards per game. They have had that weird schedule, though, where they had a huge rain weather delay in the middle of their first game. Then they had to fly across country, play a a, a late night game against Arizona that kicked off at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on Saturday. Now they got to fly back and go to Baton Rouge. But what I would say, I think they're the better team on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're the better team on the defensive side of the ball. Now, why I can't bet Mississippi State, and, and by the way, the other reason that I'd be nervous to bet LSU, they just weren't very good against uh, against Florida State, right? I know this is at home. I know it's different than playing in New Orleans, but their entire offense was hoping Jaden Daniels could break a tackle and make a big run. Uh, we saw the the struggles with the wide receivers. We saw the struggles getting Kayshawn Boutte involved. We saw the, the the miscues on special teams. We saw all that from LSU, and so it's hard for me. Um, it, you know, it's hard for me to get behind LSU. The reason I can't get behind Mississippi State, two things. It's a night game in Baton Rouge that you know what ain't easy. Now, I know Mississippi State in Mike Leach's debut beat LSU in Baton Rouge. But remember, that was when Bo Pelini was the defensive coordinator at LSU. And that was also, it's worth noting, uh, really just a game where LSU was absolutely falling apart. Mississippi State was not good the rest of the year that season. um, But I can't bet that game. And I also do think like, I think there's probably a little too much pushback off that first LSU game. Uh, They did not look good. They do get back their best running back, John Emery, for this game. Brian Kelly made a concerted effort to get Kayshawn Boutte to get Malik Neighbors more involved on last Saturday. This is one, guys and girls, if you have a strong stance, I encourage you, do whatever you want to do. Gamble responsibly, of course, but uh, I just can't sit here and tell you that I have a strong opinion on this one. Uh, Another game I just have no strong opinion on, the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game. Ole Miss, of course, is on the road in this game. Uh, uh, Georgia Tech, of course, is two weeks removed from that uh, loss to uh, Clemson, where they really weren't that bad. Ole Miss comes in as a 16 and a half point favorite. The over under set at 64. Listen, I just don't, I'm just very confused on the Ole Miss starting quarterback situation, right? Uh, It's almost like the Michigan deal, except that Michigan actually named a starter this week for UConn. But Luke Altmeyer, Jackson Dart have both started a game apiece. They have both led their teams to victory. And Lane Kiffin has not said who he plans on starting this week, okay? Uh, you know, you could make probably a dating analogy that I'm not going to make. But like I said, at least Jim Harbaugh actually named the starter. Lane Kiffin, as of right now, has not. It's a lot different, by the way, for Ole Miss to at home take care of Troy and take care of Central Arkansas. It's another thing to go on the road to Georgia Tech. I know Georgia Tech's not good, but this is one I'm probably just going to sit, take a deep breath, stay away, and not wager on this one. Really quickly, another game I won't wager on. You know, last week, BYU gave us a sweat. I did have BYU minus three at home against Baylor. They won in overtime. Uh, They go to Oregon this week in a game where Oregon is a slight home favorite. They are a two and a, or three and a half point favorite, excuse me, in the Bedford sports book. It was actually at three earlier this week. So money coming in on Oregon, the over under set at 58 total stay away to me. Um, from the BYU perspective, they were great in week one running the ball against a bad, bad, bad South Florida team. They were not nearly as good uh, as effective running the ball last week against Baylor. It may just be because Baylor has an elite front seven that said 83 rushing yards on 33 carries. If that does not scream, stay away to you. I don't know what does uh, beyond that. What I would also say, I can't bet on Oregon for one simple reason. Who's Oregon's quarterback Bo Nicks. What is our policy on Bo Nicks? We do not bet Bo Nick's games. Uh, I can't even venture a lean. I would probably, I wouldn't even venture. I can't even venture a lean. I can't even venture a lean in this one. I'm not going to subject you to it. Oregon, are are they not as good as we thought? Was Georgia just that good? We obviously saw them against Georgia. Total stay away to me. Final game. I'll tell you what. This one's interesting to me. Fresno at USC, Saturday night in the Coliseum, 10.30 Eastern time kickoff. Stay up late. You know, this is a big game. It's on Big Fox. It's not on FS1. It's not on FS2. It is on big Fox. USC has really, I think early in the season, captivated uh, the West coast of college football and they did it last week, taking care of business against Stanford, 41 points, 500 yards of total offense second straight week that they have put up over 500 yards of total offense. And as we get into the middle, you know, we're getting now into the, the heart of college football season, number 12 in college football in total offense Uh, this in year one of the Lincoln Riley era. Now where I would be a little bit concerned, Stanford did give him a few points. Stanford with four turnovers. Now that's a credit to USC, but Stanford had four turnovers in that game. The four turnovers directly led to 10 points. If Stanford does not turn the ball over and USC does not get those 10 points, that's a 31-28 final score and USC really did, was not able to stop the run. Stanford averaging five yards per carry on 45 carries, 221 yards rushing. Fresno State, we talked about Kalen DeBoer earlier. He has left for Washington. But Jake Hayner, former quarterback, ironically at Washington, um, he is still at Fresno State. He has thrown for close to 7,000 yards in his career. He has been really good early in this season, was really good last year a really good quarterback. Um, and he was a kid, by the way. He's a California kid, has said earlier this week that he is mad that USC never recruited him. I would probably lean Fresno State. I didn't even mention Fresno is plus 11 and a half, USC minus 11 and a half at home. Uh, so yeah, that is the last game that we will be discussing on today's show. With that said, I think that's it for this episode of the College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Uh, very much appreciate all your guys and girls support. The numbers are up uh, pretty significantly from last year. Very pleasantly surprised at how this show is gaining traction and gaining steam. As I said, going forward, we're going to have all of these shows up on YouTube on on Wednesday nights. Show will drop on Thursday. So if you're not subscribed on YouTube, please make sure to do so. Uh, Also make sure if you're not subscribed to the show, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to College Football Betting. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. Again, Bet50, win 250, get 250, Bet50, get 250, courtesy of Betfred. We love Betfred. We appreciate their support uh, and cannot wait to continue working with them. That is all for today's show. Again, very much appreciate everything you guys and girls do. Enjoy the weekend. We will be back next week. College football betting.